episode five of Empire Mentality, and my guest today takes us through his life of growing up on a farm, being that kid in that small town where everyone knew his name. It led to a lot of successes throughout his early life and early career. But he admits that there was some some point along the way that he lost himself and he had to find himself again. So he takes us through the steps that he took to find himself, to be happier with himself, uh, through self-exploration and getting help from others. We also touch on how he approaches building teams and working with others because he is the executive vice president at Michigan Sugar Company, but he also happens to be my dad. So we talk about some philosophies that he lives by, some words that he lives by and has taught me throughout the years. And he opened up about some things that I didn't even know about him and that others can learn from. So I'm excited for people to listen. So let's get into it. It is episode five with my dad, and this is Empire Mentality. Uh, So we're sitting here at the lake at your you and mom's lake house um looking at this gorgeous view and i think it would be interesting to dive into kind of your path into this symbolic success this this house as a symbol of success i Mm -hmm. guess for uh for a young farm kid growing up in the middle of nowhere kind of and then moving on to the work life career life and, and not starting a lot of people that we've had on the past have started their own businesses but you're a little different you've had a little different path of kind of the same path as maybe most people uh getting a job out of college and just working your way up through a company so um you want to start with kind of your childhood and growing up and growing up on a farm and kind of just going from there and then then we'll get into career stuff later on yeah yeah let's do that uh, first of all, thanks for having me, and congratulations on Empire Mentality. I'm proud of you for that. Um, it, if if one asked me about my childhood, I would best summarize it as um, one that gave me strength and structure. Um, you know, growing up on a farm, we I lived on a dirt road um, for the longest time. I think we were the only house on that dirt road for at least a mile. Um, Grew up with my, with six kids in our family. My my father was a construction worker. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for the beginning, and then uh, started her own business uh, later in life. But as I look at my childhood, it was it was one with a lot of structure. Um, staunch Catholic um, family. Never missed a, a Sunday of church. Never missed a holy day of obligation. Uh, as we grew up on a farm we always had livestock so there were there were chores to do seven days a week twice a day so getting away from work was not an easy thing to do Um, you couple that with being um, heavily structured and in in a lot of work Um, there were it, it felt like somewhat of an obligation most days to, to be somewhere and do something. And at, at first I was a little bit um, resentful maybe that the childhood wasn't as, as fun as is what I saw most. But as I look back, it, it gave me a lot of structure. It gave me a lot of, I, I learned um, to have faith. Um, and when I talk about it gave me strength, it gave me strength both from a faith standpoint and it gave me strength from a physical standpoint. As I look back, um, 
we never really had organized sports when we were really little. <clears throat> we didn't really have team sports or team competitions until we were like in middle school. And when I entered the stage of sports, I was a little bit raw uh, with talent, but I had a lot of strength. Um, when you grow up on a farm, you a lot of times are doing a lot of lifting. And in, and in my case, my brothers and I and, and our neighbors, we would, in this, we kind of had these seasonal, I'll call them seasonal workouts, where in the summertime it was baling hay. And you were on a flat wagon behind a tractor and a baler. And sometimes the, the fields weren't real level. You may have been on a hill and you were lifting 80 pound bales. Um, and you'd put eight, 180 pound bales on a load of hay and you'd do 10 to 12 loads a day. So you'd be lifting 80 pounds anywhere from one feet high to seven feet high um, a thousand times a day. So when I got into athletics is in, in middle school, I, I found that I was stronger than most kids. And I was flexible. Um, I could jump. I could throw. I could, um, I, I had a lot of raw talent. So growing up, um, I learned that it was a lot of hard work, but it, it gave me strength both from a faith standpoint and a physical standpoint. And it also gave me a lot of responsibility. Um, I, I vividly remember when I was 13 or 14 years old, uh, taking a load of wheat to the elevator down a paved road, dropping it off, um, unloading it, the wheat from the wagon and driving to my little league all-star game and playing a game and driving home. You driving. Me driving. At 13. At, <laughs> at 13 or 14. Um, so... It, it was a life that I learned responsibility quickly. I learned strength quickly. Uh, expectations seemed high. Um, I think my, my mother and father both wanted the best for us, and they, they set the bar fairly high. And um, so from my childhood, I would say I got strength from both a faith standpoint and a physical strength standpoint. Yeah, it's almost like it was not forced on you, but you didn't have a choice to have to have that mindset and that work ethic it was it was that or that was the only way that you guys knew yeah it, it really was and you know I guess the the other seasonal workout for me was was in the winter I mean our family burned wood for heat so our winter times were filled with going to the woods cutting down trees chopping wood um, throwing it in a wagon taking it home unloading the wagon stacking it and so a lot of the physical movements you do in a gym or in, uh, you know, on your own today in a structured environment or through watching a YouTube video, we naturally did as kids. And I, and I look back and I never lifted a weight. I never lifted a dumbbell or a barbell until I got out of high school. It was all natural exercise and fit and just natural strength it's like that uh rocky four scene <laughs> Rocky's like, i wouldn't oh, i wouldn't <laughs> consider myself like rocky but it was it was those types of workouts yeah. um whether it was a sledgehammer an axe um throwing a, a bale of hay 80 pounds over your head and so my childhood was good i 
we had a lot of structure, a lot of work, but I had a lot of fun with my brothers and sisters. Um, we played um, in our free time outdoors. We were big on emulating other people. So we'd go out in the yard and we'd, if we if we played, we'd throw passes and catch sideline catches. We'd we'd emulate swings like Reggie Jackson or George Brad or um, some of the famous baseball players back in the day, and we'd we'd hit ground balls and turn double plays and um so it was it was a very natural innocent um wholesome uh, kind of life um as a kid yeah so then you take that just the that childhood the uh kind of the eight nine ten years old eleven years old then you start getting into organized sports and in high school and you're having to start coupling those that work that you're doing every day with going to school and then going to practice, organized practice and stuff. It's almost like you were already made for it. It was like no big deal at that point because you were already used to that work ethic. It was already ingrained in your head that it was, that's just how you're supposed to work that hard all the time. Like you, you said earlier that it almost seemed, seemed weird that if you did have some free time. Yeah. Um, our lives were very scheduled and, and I've, you know, when I look at myself now, I, I just yearn some days for that freedom to not be scheduled. But but you're right. Um, every morning it was you wake up to an alarm clock, you go do your chores, you take a shower, you go to school, you go to practice, you come home, you do your homework, and, um, and you start your day all over again. And so that routine and that structure was, was kind of a, a natural reoccurrence for us. And... I think it helps when you get it helps you when you're in your job or in your studies when you when you get on your own but at at the time there were certain times where you just wanted to get away from it it the downside is that you couldn't really get away with it get away from it and and have true discovery of yourself so it was it was almost as if your life was so scheduled that you really didn't have time for self-discovery. It was just, it seemed like it was structured for you. And as I got older, I, I found that I needed that freedom to, to be. So do you think that self-discovery and kind of exploring your own mind kind of started then once you started getting older and more mature and into high school and, and kind of those years? Yeah, it did. Um, one of the the best things that ever happened to me was when I was about fourteen. I I met someone that that truly understood who I was, and and it happens to be your mother. Um, that's really when we started our relationship. I think we were both in a spot where we were looking for someone to to understand us, and um, at that time in our lives, it was it was the right thing that we ran into each other. So. She's been a huge, huge part of my success and my self-discovery and, and allowing me to, to be who I am. Um, so as we go through ninth grade, 10th grade comes along, and like you and Matt and Joe and, and Nicole who played sports, it, was, it became a big part of my life. Um, being, being a sports guy in a small town where you're excelling is... I mean, I, there's there's no no better feeling. 
Um, I was really fortunate. When I was a sophomore, our high school coach, whose name is Don Smesnick, approached me and said, hey, you know, and, and a lot of my friends back then called me Jimmy. He said, uh, I was walking in the hallway, and he said, Jimmy Ruhlman, I want to I want to see you in my office at, at 2 o'clock. And I said, well, I've got class. He goes, I got you a pass. <laughs> so I go into his office, and he said, I, I want you to move up to varsity. And I loved JV football. I loved being with my friends. It was that comfort zone that I just loved. I was, it was, there was a mentality in me that um, when I lined up against, across from somebody, that they weren't going to bring me down. And um, so I, I loved that success. I loved that, that feeling of being um, uh, successful. I, I, I can't think of another word right now, but and so I told him I really didn't want to. And this coach played for Woody Hayes at Ohio State. And he, he was a bit intimidating to me. He, I knew of his, he was a very successful coach, very structured, very disciplined. And I could tell he was disappointed. And he said, he almost said it in a way that it wasn't an option. And he says, I know you're good enough to play up here. I'll see you at practice tonight. So I show up at practice in my J JV stuff that's just hand-me-downs from varsity. It's all too big. And he looks at me and he says, you need, you need some, new, some new gear. And um, so go through practices the first few days. And, you know, at the varsity level, it's much different than at the JV level. And, you know, he... He was trying to help me and coach me through things. And there was, I remember vividly one day after practice, or I didn't have the greatest of practices, and he came up to me and he said, I, I just want you to know that I'm getting after you because of the way you're playing the game right now, not because of who you are. He said, I love who you are. I'm just trying to make you a better football player. And that statement at that time in my life was was impactful um he was able to separate the game from the person and after at the after that moment i just felt like no one could stop me um and i feel that way today i i have this mentality that no one person or no group of people is ever going to bring me down. Uh, every time I lined up as a tailback, I'd look at that linebacker across the line of scrimmage, and I, I was bound and determined that he wasn't going to bring me down, the safety wasn't going to bring me down, and the corner wasn't going to chase me down. Now, did it happen? Yeah, it, it happened almost on every play because you don't score on every play. But, I mean, there were some times where I knew the guy across on the other side of the line of scrimmage was faster than me and I would just run him over I I had this mentality that I was not going to be stopped and so I think that experience gave me confidence it gave me the knowledge to know that I could be something um better than than even maybe what I thought so so when you look at childhood and I had strength in both faith and physical ability I had your mom who was a 
you know, a shoulder to cry on or lean on throughout my whole, well, even through today. And then I had a coach who really, really understood me and understood my talent, and that kind of propelled me to the next level of my life. Yeah, he kind of helped you to not identify as being an athlete, but as identifying as being Jim Ruhlman instead. It was he. That was the first time you were exposed to separating the two. It, it really was. He was an amazing coach, um, and and I, I think he's still alive today. And and I think I'm, I'm going to try to to look him up. I think he's probably in his 90s now. But um, there were a lot of kids that thought he was tough to play for. But I just, <laughs> I I would, I wanted to do everything in my ability to to do what I could for him because he was he was always always in my corner so then growing up so all these experiences is this when you started to think that you wanted more out of this life out of that you wanted to get out of this small town and and kind of start to take what you've learned already and had the successes that you've had already in high school and then start taking that into the business world and start to start to really succeed at a, at a different sport, really, in business or, or, or life, whatever it may be, whatever your mindset was, is this the time period that that started to click in your brain, or has it not even crossed your mind um, yet? It, I mean, I love the small town. I mean, when you're a, a small town success on a, on a football field, it, it, the old saying, everybody knows your name and every place you go. And so that feeling of importance was, was huge for me. And, you know, I, I think it's a, a feeling that a lot of high school athletes um, kind of take for granted when they're going through sports, and then when they're out of it, there's it's it's almost it it takes a very long time to to find the replacement um, to find the replacement that gives you that adrenaline that and that high. So um, I liked the small town. I really wasn't looking to leave the small town um, my father was a construction worker and I had thoughts of being a construction worker but um, my mother strongly encouraged um, you know it's kind of like coach Smesnick it I'm really encouraging you and by the way you don't have a choice uh, to go to college and so I did and I loved college um, when you grow up in a small town it seems like everybody's the same it's the same every I mean where I grew up everyone was white everybody was blue collar everybody either farmed uh, worked in an automobile factory or worked in construction and so the comfort level of being around people was was very it was very comfortable for me and so when you go to college and even at a smaller school like Saginaw Valley, which really wasn't that far away, the diversity of students and the diversity of that lifestyle um, was good for me. I, I I learned a lot. I loved college. While I was going to college, I got the opportunity to intern at Michigan Sugar Company, and it was another one of those things where, you know, I worked a a work study job. I took classes all day, and then I worked at Michigan Sugar at 5 o'clock in the morning. So my routine, again, a very strict routine was, and sometimes I'd, I'd stay up late as, as college kids do, but it, there was always a routine. It was get up, 
I always stopped at this little restaurant called Little Chef, which was right next to our office. And this old lady named Shirley would always have my black coffee, two eggs over easy, and a piece of toast ready for me at at 5.15. And by quarter to six, I was I was at work. And I'd give her my $2.50 for breakfast. Um, actually, I gave her a $5 bill, $2.50 for her, $2.50 for breakfast, and I was on my way. So work in the morning, um, go to class, do work study, do my homework, and that was kind of the routine. So routine's always been part of my life, um, and it started very early in life. Uh, but the college life and the experience of college and the diversity of students and, and um, the opportunities that it presented was, was awesome for me and, and great advice by my mother. So it sounds like that you were, it was good that you got out of your comfort zone, but was there at going out into that uh, uncomfortable situation, not knowing anyone, a little more diversity, was there, do you have any, what was that transition like? Was it, were you able to relate to people right away? Were you going up and talking to people or did you kind of have maybe some insecurities or struggles kind of working through that or was it or did it really just come natural because you because you started building more confidence towards the end of high school or yeah I mean I, going into college I was I was pretty confident in myself um you know the structure that I had growing up was was good for me not that I always I mean I think that freshman year of college where you're trying to f- manage uh social life and studies and grades and and so forth is is a bit of a challenge so I'm not saying I killed it (laughs) grade-wise my first year but I I wasn't uncomfortable at college Um, I was still pretty confident and I I felt like I belonged there Um, maybe if I'd have gone to a much larger school uh, I would have felt differently but um, at Saginaw Valley where there were other farm kids there, other rural America kids, um, combined with some folks from the Detroit area, I think we meshed pretty well. Yeah. So then you're interning at Michigan Sugar where you're still working now. Not Nowadays that's unheard of to start as an intern and then work for the same company for 30-something years. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point when you're inter- interning, you just came out of the, the phase in high school that, that you were – kind of on top of the world you're everyone knows your name type of person is that are you thinking about being successful at this point that that you're I want to be the executive vice president one day I want to be the CEO of this company I or you just kind of going with the flow this this is a good job right now I'm making more money than I had in the past um this is I'm, I'm living pretty good right now is that where you were thinking or yeah, was it yeah that was kind of where I was at I mean when you're 20 years old I guess I think I was 20 years old when I started at Michigan Sugar I it was a great culture. I mean, it was an accepting culture. I felt comfortable there too. But I really didn't, wasn't thinking that far ahead at that time. I was just, it, it, at that point in my career, in all honesty, it was, it was a job. It was, it was a, a resume builder. It was a way to get experience. Um, I loved the culture there. I didn't know if there was a fit long term. And um, so, yeah, during college, it, it felt like another job. So when when did that flip then? Or did it just kind of naturally, because you started moving up in the company? Did, 
did it just start naturally happening? You started to excel and mm-hmm. people started noticing. Did, did that ever click in your mind at a younger age that you wanted to, that you had higher aspirations? You started looking at Meg, you, I want, I want that car or I want, I want that big house one day or I want, did that ever click or no? Or was it just, yeah. it was all just happening in it? I, I think, I think both really, David. I think, you know, I, when, when we, when I used to coach, you know, youth football, it was that that mantra, that mentality of, of being better today than you were yesterday. And that that's kind of the way I approached work. I, I think over time I proved myself. Over time I felt like um, I was, I was, I was advancing and getting experience as, as a professional. And I think it was when I was 29 years old, uh, 28 or 29, um, my manager of our IT department at Michigan Sugar Company left. And I was given the opportunity to lead our IT group at age 29. And I just, I look back and I was probably, I was was pretty young to do that, Uh, yet our group was young. And so... I think at that point, around 29 or 30, is when I I finally felt a little bit out of my comfort zone. Um, I wanted to be a good leader. I have always been able to connect with people. Um, but it was at that point in my career, I, I was young, I came from a small town, and the other department heads and officers of that company where they just felt more affluent. They, it just felt like I was, um, I didn't quite measure up. And so it was at that point in my life where I've kind of, I think I kind of felt like, do I really measure up here or not? That had to be just a weird feeling after... Did, I mean, you you don't know how to handle a feeling like that after growing up with nothing but successes. Yeah, and um, you know, it, and in all honesty, it was you know I I would get through stages of it, and and it's all that, you know, it, that old saying, you, um, you don't grow until you get out of your comfort zone, and I would say, through ages thirty to fifty. Um, I was, there were certain times in my life where I was always out of my comfort zone. It kind of went in streaks where you'd see successes, you'd reach a a certain threshold and you'd just be able to breathe for a bit. And then there was another challenge or there was another opportunity. And, you know, as I look back, as, as I was going through all of it, um, and trying to, to be a husband and a father and, in advance in my career there there was a time where i i got lost i i i found myself in a spot where i was always chasing the next thing um and it hurt me i i made some bad decisions i wasn't present with my wife and with my family and i fell into this this pretty dark zone where I couldn't really figure out who I was and who I was supposed to be because it felt like there was always this opportunity that I needed to go after, yet 
I wasn't content <laughs> and and I still kind of struggle with it today because I know when you're uncomfortable that's that's a source for growth but if you let uncomfortable <laughs> be your norm you it'll catch up with you you'll you'll at least it did for me and I and I got into this dark spot where I didn't know who I was supposed to be. I didn't know if I was supposed to be this top level executive and I didn't know how to be that and be a great father and a great and a great husband. So there was a period of time in my life where I just didn't know how to handle it. And I made some bad decisions, I made some wrong decisions. Um, I've come out of that now, but I, I think when you go through life and you're looking for that balance um it's challenge is great <laughs> um being uncomfortable is great but being uncomfortable all the time is not necessarily a prescription that i would recommend it's just it it, it consumed me it 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 captured me and i i had to find a way to get out of it what was that way? What did you start doing, doing stuff like taking a walk to clear your head or, or did you start just sitting down and watching a game? Cause I struggle with that now where I'll be sitting down trying to watch a, a Michigan game and I'm thinking about work or I'm thinking about the mm -hmm. podcast and I, it's hard for me to turn my brain off sometimes cause I just want to go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And that's a worry of mine that I'll get burnt out eventually or, or start losing what's really important or, what's what kind of the real goal is not just the fancy house and a nice car yeah. so yeah is, is that it just try <laughs> just being conscious of it i guess yeah, yeah it's, it's consciousness um for me it was it was i i was i learned i wasn't taking care of myself um mentally or physically or both both, both. um you know i didn't take time to to do physical exercise. I was just always busy. And, you know, especially when, you know, we, you guys were at home, it was, we were either coaching, going to games, eating on the fly, working a lot of hours. And I just didn't take time for myself. And that's, if there's one, one of the advices that I, that I would give anyone is to take time for yourself. Um, take time to, exercise eat right um, clear your head um, I'm the same way you with you sometimes I come home from work and I flip on the TV and I don't even watch the game but it's just enough where I'm not consumed with something I, I it, it takes my mind off of whatever's stuck in my head for for a, a little bit of time so um, and you know, I, admittedly, you know, through some of these struggles, when I got into this dark spot, I, I, um, I actually, you know, uh, went to some counseling, and, um, <laughs> and I just I got stuck with, you know, this thought of inadequacy and always trying to get to that next level, and I finally. I was in one of the sessions with a counselor and it just wasn't working. 
And um, I had read this. I had been referred to a hypnotherapist by um, someone. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try that once. And I did. And I went to two sessions. And this guy, and it sounds hokey and it sounds unreal, but this guy can really dig deep into what's really at your core. And it's he in two sessions in two hours changed my life. He he basically what it was is he taught me to love myself. Um, he taught me to forgive everything I'd ever done. He he took me he he got me into this place where I didn't have to be ashamed of who I was or um, in that I didn't have to feel guilty about anything that I'd done in my past. So um, it was funny because I, I took those two hypnotherapy sessions and I go back to my counselor and he he's talking to me and he goes, what's up with you? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're different. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're completely relaxed. You're completely calm. You have not a worry in the world. What's going on? And I, and I told him. And <laughs> I said, I can look in, my, in the mirror and I can look at myself and I can love myself. I can love who I am. I don't have to be anything different than who I am. God made me uniquely different than anyone else, just like he made you. And that understanding of knowing that you don't have to be anyone but yourself and that God made you uniquely different on purpose, it was, it was, a, <laughs> it was a game changer for me. And so that was really the turning point. And, and, and now I can carry on and um, be that person that, I, that I'm comfortable with. I can look myself in the mirror every day and not have to think I need to be something more. Um, I can, I, I always felt like there was this something missing in me. There was like this hole inside of me. And I've learned that filling that hole is not something that can be filled from the outside it's that light and that 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 candle inside of you is fueled by by something that's not just an external factor yeah you, you have to take in energy and you know nutrition and and everything else to take care of yourself but that for me the, the secret to um, contentment is self-love and once I got that I I feel so much better about myself I feel like I can carry on with my life in a very confident comfortable um, comfortable way um, I still go at it hard every day I still um, I still have goals I still have aspirations I still love to be recognized but I don't have this feeling that I have to be somebody something different than who I really am and that person that you are or that someone else has 
that confidence in themselves. We talked about this the other night, and that and that's a good segue. Is that you know who you are. You know that you are confident in yourself. You want to go after every day, not to the point where you're burning yourself out, but to the point where you know that you can accomplish things, accomplish goals, go into a meeting and run that meeting. And it's it's like the word ego and prestige are the ones that always stick out to me. Like ego is always used as a negative. If someone's got an ego, they're usually an asshole to other people because they're just this overly confident dick. But mm-hmm. if you can use ego, knowing yourself, knowing maybe you have a little bit, I have that confidence, that ego maybe, but if you can harness it and tell yourself and look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm the fucking man. I'm going in there. I'm, this is, I can do, I'm built for this. God made me for this. Mm-hmm. No one else. He made me unique. This, he gave me this skill for a reason. I'm going to use it as a, as a superpower rather than, rather than being a, being a dick about it, I guess. is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because, um, well, one of the other things that I ran across in my life was, you know, um, this this notion and and we we can talk a little bit more about it later is this this notion that you're you're really truly meant to shine and so and god gave all of us talents that he wants to utilize to our best of our abilities and the funny thing is is that sometimes when you do that and you're confident and whether it's prestige or power or confidence i i mean you can put any word on it that you want but it's funny because some people will, if, if someone's on your team and you're confident and you're leading that team, they're right there with you. But some people view that confidence and that um, strength as, um, as cockiness. And, and there are a lot of people who are jealous of it. And there are people that will t- try to tear you down because they don't want you to be too good or they'll tear you down so they can look as good as you are. And that's a warning that I will give young professionals as they become more and more successful is, is some people will look at you and view you as having it easy or things come easy for them or um, they or they're they think they're all that. Well, <laughs> when you put the work in and you're confident and you love yourself and you're doing all the right things in the right way, you have a right to be confident and you have a right to feel good about yourself. And if they don't, I'm sorry, that's your problem, not mine. I, that sounds hard. It sounds a little bit harsh, but there is no shame in working hard and being successful none at all um you have to be cognizant of it i mean you can't be rude or cruel to people you always have to be kind and and understanding but you should not allow other people to tear you down you use that that confidence when you have that kind of just that confidence that aura about yourself almost it's got to be it's got to help build teams in a company it's got to be the lead you're looking at if I'm a team member and I'm looking at a leader like that, I want to work for that guy. I want to learn from him and I want to do good for him. Is that, is that kind of, is that part of the, part of the secret to, to building I, I a team? I think it is. Um, I, I think the real key is 
you got to live your own life in the right way in order for you because people can see through things and so if you're living your life in the right way and you're confident and you're um and you're <laughs> you're pulling people along I, they can feel that um the, the other thing though is that i've learned that you can't do things on your own um and quite honestly you don't you want to be successful with others to be successful by yourself um, is probably okay. For me, it, it's not that way. And But I also recognize that when you're building teams, um, I always need five-star recruits. And when I'm building teams, that's what I look for. Um, I don't need all five-star recruits, but managing a team that's quote-unquote a, a farm club in in sports terms is exhausting um, the amount of attention and the amount of um, effort it takes to build a team a, a fairly large team by yourself is 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 challenging so when people ask me why I'm successful or how I'm successful building teams it's because I look for five-star recruits and a five-star recruit is can take on a different shape or form in, in every position that I'm looking for. But um, you need talent, and you need talent on your team that is that sees the same direction that you do. And once you have five-star recruits, <laughs> your your ability to succeed is far greater, and it's quite quite honestly limitless. Um, when you have five-star recruits at that middle management level and they're, and they're carrying on the torch that, that you have lit down to, the, to the, the all levels of the workforce, it's a powerful thing. And it's, for me, that's what, because people ask me all the time, what's your secret? And I'm not the one that does all the work. But I do recognize talent, and and through my upbringing, I, I just feel that I can connect with people. And if you can connect with with the five star recruits and the people on the floor, and you you can walk up to someone and you can feel that positive energy between you, it's a lot of fun and it's really powerful. So. Um, I don't know if I fully answered your question, but um, that's how I approach my job. That's what's worked for me in the past. Um, <laughs> I've made plenty of mistakes. I've, I've, uh, I've enjoyed the um, thrill of victory and the agony, agony of defeat. But um, I think the other thing that plays into my head when on my day-to-day -day stuff is that I had a professor in college his name was Dr. Cheeks and he <laughs> he he and every class he would say the worst decision is no decision and he really encouraged us to say to to make a decision he said right or wrong make the decision and and I try to do that I, I try not to I'm not a guy that overanalyzes. I'm not a guy that um, tries to have every fact and every detail before I make a decision. 
Um, you know, some people call it, you know, a gut feel. Well, those people that say that probably don't know that your gut is very closely connected to your brain. And so sometimes gut feel is, is a real feel and the right decision. And so um, I typically make decisions fairly quickly. Um, I need five-star recruits. I look at myself in the mirror every day and make sure I can look at that person and say, we're good. And it works. When you're looking to build a team and you're, you know you're needing five-star recruits, what's, what's standing out to you about a particular person or candidate in an interview, something like that? It's probably not the resume. It's, it's got to be a feeling in the room, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. What, do you, what, what are some, some triggers for you or that, that you just know this, guy, this guy's the real deal or this gal's the real deal? I mean, that's it the real deal. Yeah. They, they have to be real people. Um, I can tell someone in an interview who's giving me answers that I just want to hear. I can tell um, fairly quickly if they have a work ethic. I can tell fairly quickly if they're lying to me or not. I can tell fairly quickly whether or not they um, are just looking for a job versus looking for um, a a place on a winning team so it's funny because I really don't interview that many people Um, and I I keep using sports analogies but um, recognizing five-star talent is usually known before they even walk in the door you either know them from another place you know them from an association you know them from a past experience and you know who they are and sometimes you don't but most of the time you know in the league who the five-star recruits are so in a business like michigan sugar company who's an agricultural commodity business you know the players in the league you know the players in other companies you know the players um, in other sugar companies across the country you just know who they are and or you might know other players in agribusiness that are very very well respected and sharp and so you sometimes you go after them sometimes you say hey I want to talk to you and sometimes um, it's just a lunch where you say, hey, if you ever get an opportunity, have an opportunity or have a notion to change careers, I'd love to have you on my team. Um, so five-star recruits are typically that. They're, you, you go get them. <laughs> um, it's not like you put an ad out there and, and they come in. Sometimes you're lucky to do that, but on five-stars, a lot of times you got to go get them. Um, The funny thing is, not funny thing, but the real thing is that once you have five-star recruits and your team's winning, people want to join your team. They want to come. (laughs) They want to be part of your team. It's it's the same when LeBron goes somewhere. He he draws players, role players, other five-star recruits, other top talent that wants to be part of a winning team, and. 
so when once you've established that foundation of a winning tradition, winning departments, and winning teams, word gets out. I mean, if you got five-star recruits on your team, they're talking to other five-star recruits, and they're saying, what are you guys doing there? And they tell them, and they, there's this intrigue and this interest, and it's just, <laughs> it's contagious. It's people want to be part of winning teams. People want to go places where they feel comfortable. They want to go places where um, they can be recognized. Um, you know, when you talk about building teams and and you read books about management and leadership, um, there's <laughs> there's this there's this push pull kind of differentiation between. And we talked about it the other day when you know when we were <laughs> lifting weights. Is I, I told you I on my exercises, it's always easier when I'm doing push exercises. I can bench press pretty easily. I can, um, but when I do um, pull-ups or curls, it's harder. When I do triceps, it's a push exercise and it's easier. And I think it's the, it, I think it's a, a mentality more than an exercise in that pl- in that case. And that pushing is always easier than pulling or leading. And I always. I hate the word accountability. I hate the word, you know, policy and rules. And, and there's got to be, there's always got to be some of them. But I, I love, <laughs> I, what I like better is the words, this is our direction. This is our, our goal. Um, I need you to stay in your lane, but your lane is very flexible. Um, here's the goal, but you you choose how to get there. And I think for young talent coming in and, and people trying to use their own unique talents and skills, it's important that you allow them to use them. Um, putting somebody in a box is not necessarily the answer. Some people need a lot of direction. Some people don't want much at all. Um, but I, for me personally, accountability is managing somebody. Um, leading someone is giving them a goal and giving them the latitude on how to get there. And I'm not saying I've always been more of a leader than a manager because I think there was a time in my career where I didn't recognize that. But I think managers manage and leaders lead. And I think in today's world, people are looking for leaders and, and not managers. Yeah, and leaders are the ones pulling people along and managers are being pushy and telling keeping people in those lanes it's it's easier it's and that's why the majority of managers are probably not great ones because they're it's easier to push rather than to pull people along with you and that's that's your point it is right it's it is yep and yeah you're and and it's it almost feels more um it feels good like if you're bench pressing or something and you start getting more weight up but it almost feels better when you're pulling, when you're doing like a bent over row or something, you're pulling and you start seeing that go up because you know that it's harder. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of the same. I relate everything to, <laughs> to fitness. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're bench pressing and you, you throw another wheel on the bar, it, it feels good temporarily and it, it gives you that, maybe that instant gratification, but 
you know, sometimes when things are a little bit harder, a little more challenging, a little more uncomfortable, um, the reward feels a little bit better in the end. Yeah. yeah. So we've gone through a ton of stuff that people can relate to and mm-hmm. learn from and and really grab onto and think about. Um, but if you were to kind of summarize or or if you had one point that you could try to get across to someone that's listening that needs to hear something that that is going to inspire them, not motivate them, but to inspire them and mm-hmm. maybe give them that little extra push. What, what would that one thing be that you would, that you would want someone to hear? I mean, in, in a sentence, it's, um, is, is, you know, find a way to love yourself. And when you guys were kids, we used to watch this movie, uh, coach Carter, and we, we watched it several times and there's a scene in coach Carter that, um, that has a portion of a poem that was written by Marian Williamson. And um, the title of the poem is, is um, You Are Meant to Shine. And if, if you have that clip, I, I'd share it with your audience. But I, I guess my message and um, one of the things that's been most impactful for me is that poem and the phrase in there that says, um, our, dar- darkest, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, our deepest fear is that we are we are powerful beyond measure, and if you're in a state where you're feeling inadequate or not living up to expectations, or you don't think you're good enough, pull that poem out or pull that clip out. Um, it's on YouTube, and I don't know, Dave, if you can share it or not. But if I'm going to leave someone with a thought, um, it's that. Um, and, and it goes on to say, you know, we were all meant to shine like, like children do. And um, so it, I, I'm going to just give you that one is a bit of advice and, and one is a teaser um, because I, I think it's a powerful, powerful message. I think it's a great poem. And it kind of sums up <laughs> a lot of what I went through personally. Um, it may not relate to, relate to everyone. But it, it's got a powerful message to it. And I'm not going to try to add anything onto that. Okay. That's going to be the end of it. All right. Um, that sounds good. I think people learned from this. I think people can relate to it. Um, and I know that I've learned a lot more from you lately since we've had conversations like this. Yeah. And uh, learned a lot throughout life, obviously. So I appreciate it. I love you, man. All right. Love you too, bud. Thanks for listening today. Hope you found some value in this episode. If you did find some value in it, do me a favor and just share it with one other person that you think might need to hear this message. Maybe they'll find some value in it too. Whatever the podcast app that you're listening to this on, hit subscribe, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple's Podcasts, Spotify, or maybe you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe. If you are not already following us on social media, it is at The Empire Mentality on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok. I post some of the videos from past episodes. That's how you can just stay connected. That's also how you know when new episodes are dropping. So follow on there. Subscribe on the podcast apps. This is just getting started. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate the support. This is Empire Mentality. Empire Mentality.